I was going to I was going to bring this up because our mutual friend is Michael Kamba and sort of set this up. I was taken to a art opening about a, 12 years ago. Something like that. 12 or 13 years ago. And uh, a friend of my brother took me and it was a Kambach opening. And I met him there. And I was really like, I really liked what he was doing. And my wife and I were buying this house that we're in. And we talked about having him commission something as the first piece of art that we bought in our house. And we did. I'll have to show you. If I remember, I'll show you before we leave. And um, it just so happened that not only did he do that, uh, he became a close friend of ours because he does um, incredible work because he, t he takes what he does and tries to apply that in the best possible way. You know, he's like, I'm an artist, but what I want to do is I want to teach people to make art or to express themselves that really don't have an opportunity to do anything. And not only that, I want to take the stuff that they produce and I want to make it public good. He's doing that for the potter's field. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we've just been very close ever since. Um, <clears throat> I've worked with the Chris White Gallery because he's he, he was associated, and he's still associated with the Chris White Gallery, both the art and the housing. He's a huge housing advocate. He's a huge criminal justice reform advocate. And uh, yeah, we've just been, we've been friends for 12 or 13 years. Comrades and friends, hello. Uh, the, we're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines. We're in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. We need to know that. We need to know that uh, Carl is here on the knobs to make sure the volumes and levels sound good. And I want to introduce uh, someone who was introduced to me from a great friend of, of ours and uh, a friend of the podcast, Michael Kambach, um, Dr. Faith Kuhn. Um, she is a scientist. Uh, a, a program manager and somebody who's working for the state right now at the Department of Agriculture to do some really cool stuff. And I'm very happy to have her in the studio. So thank you very much for, for coming. Well, thank you so much for in inviting me. This is uh, really exciting. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it's something that I'm very uh, passionate about. And um, just to give a quick um, introduction about how I got involved in this because I'm an entomologist by training. Well, I wanted to bring that up because we always <laughs> ask people when they're doing like uh, just interesting work like this, whether it's activism, advocacy, sort of like different kinds of research work, like how they got into it. But you're, you're a bug doctor. I think that's, it, uh, people talk about uh, entomology. Is that what it is? Entomology. Yes, entomology. Entomology. As like this thing, but you, um, and, and I say that because I'm a very close friend of somebody who is a horticulture, not botany, but horticulture specifically has an advanced degree in horticulture. So I really appreciate these really specialty sort of um, scientific degrees that are like nature, but at a very, very uh, grassroots level. It's grassroots, right? That's right. Bugs are grassroots. <laughs> I mean, bugs are grassroots. Right. Right. So I just, I'm fascinated by that. So you talk a little bit about your background before you talk about how you got to where you are? Uh, yes. So I've, um, you know, just um, insects fascinate me, uh, not only for what they are, but their connection to plants. Um, that's uh, when I finished my undergraduate degree in zoology and decide, was trying to decide what to do. Um, I was actually working for uh, Pfizer in their central research. And at that time, there was a lot of um, research being published on the coevolution of insects and plants. And I thought this was absolutely fascinating. So I started reading about that and decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to study plants and I'm going to study insects and 
So that's kind of been my career path. Um, I grew up on a farm. And so the connection of uh, plants and insects in an agricultural setting was where I felt most comfortable. And um, so basically, I've spent um, most of my career working in, um, working in agriculture um, with a focus on insects. And Where um, did you grow up? What, what? Connecticut. Connecticut on a mm-hmm. farm in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So your parent, what did what did they farm in? Um, my father had poultry. Had okay. uh, so I'm right at home in Delaware. Yeah, chickens <laughs> and turkeys. And um, but we had a lot of a very large um, vegetable um, right. operation too, and um, so um, so yeah, and. Um, Worked in uh, agriculture except for a um, a short period of time where I worked um, at an insect museum in in um, in North Philadelphia called the Insectarium. I worked there for a little while, um, but anyway, so uh, my my last um, assignment, full time assignment, was with the Delaware Department of Agriculture. And because of my interest in plants, um, I've always been a really avid gardener. And it seems my my green thumb has gotten me into all kinds of interesting connections. So um, one day, the Secretary of Agriculture uh, walked into my office and said, Hey, the Secretary of Health and Social Services and I had a great idea. We want to have a garden at the Delaware Psychiatric Center for the, the, the people there, have them you know, grow vegetables and uh, experience a garden. And you know, we thought you're, you're just the person to make it happen. And um, so that was a very short conversation. And um, <clears throat> so um, I was taken on a, on a little tour around the uh, Herman Holloway campus, which is the headquarters of the Department of Health and Social Services. And the, the person in charge of facilities was showing me different locations where I might put this garden. You know, and I'm thinking of all the agronomic kind of things. Okay, where's the sun? Is it flat? Uh, where's the water source and everything? Anyway, he drove me in this one area, and he pointed out um, this thicket and uh, that was across the road. And he said, there's a cemetery there. And um, he didn't give me too much information about the cemetery, but he said, you know, he, he would like to do something about it. And there he was thinking about having the Eagle Scouts maybe do something about it. And that really hit me because here was this cemetery that was hidden behind a thicket. And, you know, first off, that that didn't seem like that was that was quite right. And that was definitely something that um, people should know about. And um, so I started this garden and I was giving weekly um, not classes, but just every week I would take um, clients from the psychiatric center out to the garden. We would work and uh, plant things. And um, one day we we came to the garden and we looked at where the cemetery was and um, a backhoe had come in and taken down all of the shrubbery that was hiding the cemetery. And it was really shocking to see this because there was this huge pile of limbs and debris and everything. And then there, there was the cemetery. And so the, the, the guys that I was working with, they, they saw this and they just stood there and they looked at that. And they asked me what it was. And I told them, and I said, let's take a walk over and look at it. And we looked at it, and, and they, they were clearly shaken. And one of the men said to me, 
that's what they think about us. And I was, I was really shaken by that comment because he's right. And what could I, you know, I couldn't say anything to him that would try to paper it over because he was right. And so I said to him um, something along the lines, you know, that's not right. And, and, you know, one of those things where you're really shaken up, so you, you make a promise. <laughs> and I said to him, um, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I promise you that I'm going to do something about this. And, you know, we are going to honor the people buried there because the people, that cemetery was, is a potter's field for the psychiatric center. So that cemetery is for people who died while they were at the psychiatric center, who maybe their family didn't acknowledge them. Maybe they didn't have family. Maybe they didn't have the means for burial, um, but um, but that's that's where they were buried, and um, so it's you know it's a very sad and somber story, um, but it certainly deserves to be acknowledged. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 heavy to think about that, and and through your work, I understand you you've 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 uncovered other sort of other places that have served as potter's fields for the state right in that, in that vicinity. Um, can you talk about that a little bit before we talk about what your plans are and, and some of the things that have been done? Can you talk about a, a little bit about how the sort of project expanded as you did research and sort of realized what the, the full sort of impact was in that area? Okay. So sure. And, and so that, that was kind of my my introduction to Michael right. because I, you know, I really wanted to do something about the cemetery and that was the time of the Department of Justice um, settlement against the state and they really wanted to um, build a peer movement. Um, and um, so basically they said, the cemetery renovation, whatever we did, had to involve the peer community. And um, we wanted to make the cemetery renovation um, be a public work of art as well as acknowledge the people buried there. Um, so that's where Creative Vision Factory came into the picture. And so... I was the sort of like the project manager who worked with Michael and um, Creative Vision Factory and um, other state employees, some um, people who were just interested in this. So it was a it was a collection of people who really felt strongly that um, this needed to be acknowledged as a proper cemetery and the people buried there needed to be provided with a, you know, a good measure of dignity. Pardon me. So that was, that was kind of like the first one. And then, um, to try and make a long story. Well, <laughs> I'm interested in this. I'll, I mean, I'll tell you how to, f maybe how to focus it. I don't know. But as I mentioned to you sort of, uh, before we turn the microphones on, we're starting to do you know, some, some historical research as well, looking at, at primary sources, looking at um, state documents, um, deeds, and, and real estate stuff and all that. And it just, if it's fascinating to be, not only to sort of be exposed to this space where you feel like something needs to be done, but then saying, well, each marker in this, space that we've been exposed to is just a number how do we connect a number to a person number one and then in the course of doing that we also find out that actually there were other potter's fields in this location that were just not considered when other construction was done 
and we put a, an off ramp over top of them or whatever we do. Mm-hmm. And I, that that the the work to sort of uncover all of that, I'm re- I'm just interested in. So I don't know whether like you can talk about part of it or all of it or sort of how you came about some of the the research that went about before even doing the sort of the 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 landscaping and the horticulture piece of it and the artistic piece of it and the that part of it, just being able to put a name to a spot or just right. being able to say, you know what, there are actually people there under that on-ramp that were, you know, tr- you know that were here. And just to go back to what the patient said the first day, like, what do we think of those people? Like, can we, can we acknowledge that they're there? I just I find that part of it actually really interesting too. So. Okay, well I'll I'll get to that in just a second. And what I can say is what we did with, and it's called the spiral cemetery, the one for the psychiatric center, because it is in fact arranged in right. in the circular pattern. Um, so um, a colleague of mine, Kathy Detweiler, did a, a research paper on what different state hospitals did to acknowledge their their potter's fields, their cemeteries. And from that work and just from kind of like logic of looking at cemeteries, um, there's there's sort of like a, a little series of things that we had to go through. Um, so I'll, I'll quickly run through that for the spiral cemetery. And then I'll get to the what Michael and I called the souls under the highway, right. uh, to that one. Right. So the first thing is establish who owns this cemetery. And you might think, well, that's pretty straightforward. But um, it may be on paper or, or they may um, uh, want to contest what it says in the uh, recorder of deeds. Um, and so, so that's, um, that's sort of like the first thing. Right. And, and I'm saying these cause these are all hoops that we've had to jump through. Right. Um, agree on the name of the cemetery and register it with, with the Department of Health and Social Services who registers the cemetery, but the Department of Health and Social Services also owns these cemeteries. Okay. So register it with yourself. Um, make it visible um show where where are the boundaries of this cemetery it's not just like out there this is where people are buried and this is the boundary so mark that off establish a list of names and a marker number this was particularly uh uh involved a lot of discussion with the spiral cemetery because these people had been um, patients at the psychiatric center and a lot of people were worried about oh you know is this um, is this HIPAA uh, but given the the um, the age of I would say it's it's I don't think you have uh, HIPAA rights after you die no, no, it's it's like fifty years or something is like that. Is that what it is? Okay. So, that, uh, so, so you know this. You know, yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. So that so that was a time frame, but even so, people were concerned about, um, you know, there's a last name, and this is a small state, right. and you know, so so there was all of that, um, and you should be. It shouldn't be just a number because that's so, you know. You have a name. You lived as a person with a name. You deserve that in your final resting place. Okay. Um, and then publish these names on a um, a website that's called Find a Grave. And this is a this is a you know international website that is- I've been on this actually because okay. yeah, right. I'm a I'm a sicko history history buff, so I've, I've I'm familiar with this. But yeah, you can go and look at. If your if if uh, your family is buried in some small church cemetery in in you know central Pennsylvania on the border of New York, which I have a couple of those, you can go on here and actually like look at it, right? And it'll tell you where it is. And if you're doing genealogy research, you want to find out, you know, okay, so yeah. so that's important. Acknowledge if there 
that there are veterans buried there. And that's the case with the with the cemeteries. There, there are veterans buried there, so acknowledge them, right? Um, provide a, and this is, this is kind of my bias coming in, a naturalistic landscaping that connects the past and the future and the, and the people who rest there to the environment. Um, and um, establish that this burial area is a sacred space. Sacred, not necessarily, it could be, but not necessarily in a religious sense, but sacred as a place set apart and for this one purpose only. Um, so, so those are kind of like the big steps going through to take this, this piece of land that had graves that was just sort of ignored and, and hidden behind trees, the spiral cemetery, <clears throat> and making it into a proper, proper <laughs> cemetery. So that was the first one. We had the dedication. We had a historical marker dedication in 2016. And <clears throat> the monument created by Creative Vision Factory, the tiles that had the marker number and the name, so on and so forth. And um, then there... There's also a, um, a potter's field. This is the second. There, on the Herman Holloway campus, there are three cemeteries. The Spiral Cemetery is the, that I just mentioned. That's the first one. It's an historic cemetery. That was for the former Delaware State Hospital, now the Delaware Psychiatric Center. There's the Newcastle County Potter's Field, which is for the, the Newcastle County's indigent burial program. So today, if someone dies and there is no one to claim the body, um, no, no family or friends step forward, then the state buries that person. And if you look in the obituary, sometimes you'll see burial notice, small thing, and it'll give a name. Um, that's the second cemetery, and that's what they call an active cemetery. So they're still burying people there. Right. And then, um, then there's the third cemetery. And I had heard about this, just it was not well known or discussed. And um, after I retired, I thought, okay, <laughs> that's it. But um, some folks kind of worked worked their magic on me and said, no, no, Faith, you, you really need to, you know, this cemetery needs attention. So I started, and I, I had told the powers to be about it before I retired, and nothing really happened. Um, so how did you, was, <clears throat> so there was a, was there documentation that there was probably a Potter's Field in this Oh yeah. oh yeah! Oh yeah! And yeah. so it was. That part was known, and it was just not. Uh, it was not something that had had been uh, discussed or brought out. But it was. It was known that that was that was there. It, it was known, and um, and basically, um, after I retired, and after like a year or two, um, I I brought this up to um, to the state. And they said, well, I don't think we own this property. And uh, that's my first thing, establish ownership. I don't think we own this property. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, yes, you do, because here is the record from the Newcastle County, um, not the recorder of deeds, but the, um, where you can go and, find out who owns what property. And so it says that Department of Health and Social Services owns this. And um, and if you can contest this, then you can have it surveyed, which they did. And the results of the survey was, well, you own this. 
just what you thought. <laughs> I mean, just, you didn't have just, to have the survey. I'm just saying. Just, just what the official you. record said. Okay. Just, so that checks um, out. So what had happened in in going through the um, you know just digging through um, historical records, so on and so forth. What had happened is <clears throat> when. They were going to build what was called the FA-1 interchange that connected I-95 to the Delaware Memorial Bridge, so the 295 connector. When the plans were drawn up to build that, the best way to make that connector was over the top of the cemetery. And um, so it was called the... um, Department of Transportation at that time, the, no, the Highway Department. The Highway Department put a notice in the newspaper that this is what we're going to do. If you have any relatives buried there, um, (coughs) let us know and we'll move the bodies. And nobody responded. Because it's a potter's field. They they wouldn't. Exactly. And like, does, does, this is like, does everybody get the newspaper and you know, read? So anyway, there there are. If if it's a Potter's Field and there and and anyway, there there are so many reasons why someone might not respond to an article in the newspaper. Okay, so I guess it was assumed that it then it was okay to proceed, and the highway department said. Um, and there's even a quote in there that they weren't going to be ruthless about this, that they were going to put up a sign and so on and so forth. So they put 20 feet of dirt on top of about almost 80% of this cemetery and, and topped it off with asphalt and put a fence around um, the remaining like 20% of the graves and then time went on, and it w- turned into basically an a, uh, illegal dump. And it was all overgrown with, um, in 2015, when we kind of really started working on this, um, it was just a tangle of invasive vines and weeds and brambles and trash. Um, mattresses, water heaters, car seats, refrigerators. You just wouldn't believe the amount of stuff that had been dumped there because it had just been left for about 50 years, you know, with this fence. And, and um, it's the along the road to the Baylor Women's um, Center. Um, so it's kind of like off the yeah. beaten path. And um, so um, in, in working with the Department of Health and Social Services, um, we started on a, and, and um, the, uh, the former director was, was, was pretty, um, was pretty good about seeing the, the value of this and wanting to do this. So, you know, they had somebody come and haul, you know, dumpsters full of all this trash out of there. And um, so it, it looks a lot better now than it, than it did before. Meanwhile, so that's just like the physical look of what it looks like. Meanwhile, um, another reason given for um, it being okay to just proceed with the road plans is they didn't have a record of who was buried there. And, I mean, records were kept um, by, at that time it was called the coroner, records were kept. So of, that, was a, that was a county potter's field, not, wasn't associated with the hospital? Or was it was it still associated with the hospital that was there, the the one that's now closed but under the embankment, or was that a sort of a a general Potter's Field cemetery? 
No, it was it was it was kind of both. Um, there was a uh, a Newcastle County Hospital there. It was first called the Alms House, and then they changed it to the Newcastle County Hospital. And um, so that this cemetery under the highway served that hospital, but it also served as the burial ground for what was then the indigent burial program so it was so coroner's dual, cases dual yeah coroner's cases i mean there are a number of you know someone was found floating in the christina river and you know so on and so forth how how long does it go back i mean well let, tell, i mean obviously like you said there was no at least at the time evidence that anybody could be identified so what work has been done and do we know how far it goes back now after sort of looking into it and researching what what happened at this place. Yeah, 18 this particular cemetery was active from 1891 to 1933 and the way and and Kathy Detweiler, Dr. Detweiler has reconstructed the the list if you will of people who were buried there. The 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 uh Cemetery books, the, you know, the records of death have been lost, so they can't find them. But the certificates of death are um, still in the record. So she has been, like, painstakingly going through year by year. And, you know, when it says, where was this person buried, it's either at the Newcastle County Hospital or the uh, the county cemetery. There, You know, we've... Going through this, we've learned certain search terms. That means, oh, that person, that's where they are. That's where they are. And so, so it's gone from like zero. There was, there was, Kathy did find one book, one of the records of death books in the archives. Um, it was just by happenstance because it was, it was misfiled. It was filed under something else. Um, but there was one one book that she found. But anyway, the rest of those has just been reconstructed by going through the certificates of death. And so she's up to more than 2,400 now in that, in that place. And so um, what's fascinating, though, is when you read the death certificates, you learn something about the people buried there. Um, quite a few of them were immigrants. You know, they were they were born in mostly in Europe, and um, and they came to this country, and they were they were laborers. Um, they were day laborers. They were farm laborers. They were servants, domestic workers, so on and so forth. Because in the death certificates, it says, you know, what what, what was your profession? Um, for a number of them, they don't have a year that they were born. They're just like the year that they died. Some of them, you know, and 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 if it was a person that nobody was um, was a witness for them, um, there might not be very much information about them. Um, but if you look at not only the age, um, you know the sort of the demographics of the age and the demographics of the race. Um, many of the uh, those buried there were like infants or very, very small children, you know, a couple days old. Um, un unfortunately, it, um, it was a time when maybe if you had a child and you weren't able to um support that child um there's some sad stories about about that at that time yeah. um also we haven't completely done the demographics but um there is a large percentage of the people that are black and um and there are veterans buried there. Um, quite a few 
older people. Um, so it's, when I look at this, I, I look at this and say, you know, this, this is, this is just in many ways, this is a, a cross section of society. And this is, this is a cross section of society that, <clears throat> you know, doesn't get the front page news, doesn't have the political power, um, probably doesn't have um, have a ready source of wealth, and so they're easily forgotten. But that doesn't mean that they don't deserve a measure of dignity because they're part of the human family. You know, they've they've walked on this earth with us, the ones who were laborers. You know, they built things and they they grew crops that people um, survived on, and they so they they were they were a a part of the fabric of society, and um, so they deserve to be um, you know where they're buried. That deserves to be sacred ground just as much as as somebody buried in the. Brandywine in Wilmington Cemetery, and um, I mean, I, I, uh, I not only do I agree with you. We were talking earlier about like the way that we look at history, and frankly, you know, the 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 tens of thousands and millions of laborers that came from Europe, <coughs> whether they came from Central or Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, like my ancestors or they came from Ireland or England or Scotland, they made a huge impact here. Like, uh, you know, the Caesar Rodneys of the world or the great men of the world might have been at the table where they made decisions, but the, the force of history was made by laborers and farmers and people who left one place to move to another place mm -hmm. or whatever and 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 I think you're exact some acknowledgement needs to be made some reckoning some reckoning needs to be made uh with with that with that history so yeah I mean what is there a plan for that place um because we have this the the, the circular or the the spiral spiral cemetery, spiral cemetery mm -hmm. which work has been done and a lot of work and we have sort of an active potter's field which we can sort of start to change the way we treat that. But this this third one, um, is there a plan to sort of do some acknowledgement, um, whether it be art or a website or a, mar a historical marker or something? Like, is, what, what's, what's the status of that space right now? Okay. So, uh, yes, uh, actually all of the above. We, we got a um, – had a, an his – and historical marker um, in um, 2020. And um, so, but you know, that that's just basically a sign on the road. And, um, but it's an, a very important acknowledgement of the, the historical significance of this cemetery. So since then, um, I've been working um, on a couple fronts. Um, first of all is to maintain the area where, you know, the graves that weren't covered up by the, by the highway, um, to maintain that. And, and I've talked to the, the people at the, in the facilities of the Department of Health and Social Services. I said, look, this doesn't have to be like your standard grass and granite cemetery, right? It can be something different. And um, we just want to keep the, we want to keep the markers clear so it's very obvious where they are. Um, and we're going to plant native plants and wildflowers along the edge. And we're just going to mulch around the markers. And this is going to be 
you know, this is going to be low maintenance. You don't, because they're, they're really worried about, oh, my gosh, we got another cemetery. We're going to have to mow this. Yeah, no, you're, you see, I, and, and this is the cool thing, too. I mean, you can speak a little bit about that as you talk about it, which is beautiful. It's like when you put native plants and wildflowers and stuff, it's, it's a lot of it's sort of self-maintaining. Almost, it, and, it and, is. and it's uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sort of into that too, which is which is cool. There's not a lot of um, it's not like you're you're just laying sod that's going to have to be mowed twice a week for perpetuity. Right, right, yeah. and 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 you know, it's the it's the cycle of life, and the people who are buried there, you know, they're part of the cycle of life. So why shouldn't the cemetery reflect? The cycle of life, a a a cemetery that's nothing but grass and granite markers. It is really dead. It's it is really dead in so many ways. But but a pardon me, a cemetery can also be part of the current and future cycle of life. So that's that's something I'm thinking about, in terms of the names and the marker numbers. Haven't quite figured out how to do that, although um, I visited Laurel Hill um, Cemetery in Philadelphia, and I really liked what they were doing in their the the naturalistic uh, cemetery portion there. Basically, they had an exterior wall, and they had just numbers and um, and um, and names. On that wall, so we could do something like that, pretty straightforward with with tiles. So, um, haven't quite gotten to there yet. Um, I've been talking to Michael about uh, maybe making mosaic benches or something um, to um, to have some art there. Um, you know, we're going to have to find funding to do this sort of thing. So for right now, I'm just doing it pretty simple, um, keeping the markers clean. Um, I get mulch from the trees that they shred on campus. And, uh, you know, so use that to spread around the markers. I get free divisions of native plants or take them out of my backyard and um, planting them there. Um, I'm going this year, I'm going to put some, um, bluebird boxes, um, in the cemetery. Um, so, you know, we can, um, we can, uh, uh, support the bluebirds. And then what I'd like to start doing is, uh, having a yearly ceremony, um, along the lines of what they do in, um, Los Angeles, something that they've done for the past, I don't know, hundred some odd years is every year, towards the end of the year, they have um, a ceremony to honor what they call the, um, the unclaimed, I think they call it like unclaimed bodies or something like that. It's, it's not very ceremonial sounding. We could think of a different name. Yeah, definitely a different <laughs> we could name. We a different name. Um, but what I would like to do is to have a yearly ceremony that would, um, acknowledge the people who have been buried in that year um, in the in the active Potter's Field, and right. and I go there every week. There are about two or three people buried each week. Um, so so not only to acknowledge them, but then also to talk about you know what do we know about this? What have we learned this year about this? Um, this piece of land and about maybe about the people who live there. I mean, who live there, I'm sorry, people who are buried there because um, Kathy Detweiler is doing research. She calls it profiles in obscurity. Um, like that idea. And, and so she is between ancestry.com and newspaper articles finding out about the lives of some of the people buried there. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of stuff I'm into. I love that. And uh, and it's fascinating some of the stuff she comes up with. And then me from a biological standpoint, 
I'm really interested in finding out more about the environmental history of this land because before it was um, before it was a cemetery and before it was part of the Delaware Department of Health and Social Services land, it was a wetland. And um, if you look at the old maps, that whole area um, is just all wetland. And when they when they built 95 and 295, not only did they pave over the, you know, put all 20 feet of dirt on top of the cemetery and pave that over, they um, diverted the Christina River because um, the Christina River had this huge loop in it. And to build the highway as planned, they would have had to make two bridges to bridge that loop. And so it was deemed, and it probably was, more economically feasible to divert the river and just fill in that huge area that was a, uh, was a loop in the river. And if you look at the history, so, so they've, they've turned this highly biologically productive wetland into a space where they dumped fill and just generated a lot of invasive plants. It, you know, people talk about they used to go hunting there for, you know, quail and beaver and all kinds of wildlife that could no longer survive when there's a highway and, you know, you filled in their river habitat. Um, I've looked at some of the records, some of the, the botanists who went in Delaware and collected um, plant specimens to say, you know, what's the plant life here, there, and the other place? To look at the plant life that was in this particular area, it was all like swamp and wetland plants. Yeah. And um, and I don't I haven't like dug into the history of the bird populations, but I'm you know I'm so so this wonderfully rich area has been turned into concrete and and a thicket of thorns and a nice interstate interchange. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and <clears throat> so you know thinking about you know the sort of the and it's not a it's not a, a balance per se but it's it's a series of trade-offs okay so we have a very um fast route from from pennsylvania to uh, maryland um but look at what was um what was gained and what was lost and and you look at the whole history of you know dividing wilmington in half so we could have this interstate and the people that were you know that's that's a whole social aspect of the interstate but then what i see is the whole environmental aspect of it as well and this you know this habitat that was destroyed and um and the you know the people that were just buried. Well, Faith, thank you very much for for coming in and talking to us. <laughs> I love this stuff. And as a matter of fact, the last thing I want to talk about, and I want to ask you whether you can you can help me actually. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> I'm also involved in helping to edit and coordinate a a website, sort of like a local news periodical, the Delaware Call. Um and. I'm working right now with a student at the University of Delaware who wants to write a paper about black farmers. It was started out to be black farmers in Kenton, Sussex. Um, it, it might grow a little bit. She's interviewed a black farmer uh, in Felton whose second or third great-grandfather was deeded the land by Quakers in the late 19th century. We've put her in touch with other black farmers from Glasgow and Newcastle County and also some legislators who are sponsoring and co-sponsoring different ag bills just support ag you know, black farmers and other farmers ag support but what I haven't figured out is to get a good contact at the Department of Agriculture 
who could speak to the student about some of these issues. And I thought you might know somebody who, who could do that. Or you don't even have to tell me now, but you could think about it. And we could talk about it later. It's just it, th this project, because we're so into like uh, the history of the people, I find that idea of like the history of obscure people, because mm -hmm. I don't really find them obscure. They might not be. Um, I was talking to a historian a few weeks ago, uh, Sil Wolford here, and they might not be somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah. know Sil? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sil, Sil we're. We're, we're becoming great friends with Syl. And I'm sure he's uh, very interested in a lot of this history as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, they they might not be, quote, significant. But that's not really um, significance relative. Well, they're, they, they're significant. Um, they just don't have the, like, the name rec recognition or yeah. notoriety. They're or they were part of a, they were, uh, like I said before, and, and you... Uh, uh, focused on it, which was great. It's like they were sort of like a part of a wave of immigrants that came to the country from Europe. They were part of uh, people who were laborers. Well, who built the CND built, Canal? Who built the, with right. shovels? Yes, these were these were immigrants. So whether 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 they individually were able to like sign some document, right? They were part of a of a mass movement that built the state. That were a that were you know the, the immigration from Europe built the country really in, at one point, and so yeah, it's not really about what you did individually. It's sort of about what you did as a what you did as a group, mm -hmm. what you were able to accomplish as you know a working person or part of the working class or uh, whether you called them servants or laborers or farmers or whatever. You know, without farmers, nobody's eating. And so <clears throat> that's actually, I f find that more important than somebody who, you know, happened to be an aristocrat who signed a document. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you were able to, uh, to come in and, and talk to us about it. So thanks. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people that this isn't something that, I found this is a project that found me and um, and I feel really dedicated to, you know, just like I told that one um, that one gentleman, you know, I don't know how or when, but I'm going to do something about it. So yeah. I, I just keep on keep on trucking. I, I love that concept. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I'm doing something. Yeah. About it. <laughs> I actually I, I could I, uh, I, I feel that actually. Uh, Faith, once again, I very much appreciate you coming in. Um, folks, we've reached the end of another wonderful episode. Um, you know how to find us, uh, patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Uh, we're on iTunes, Highlands Bunker. Um, yeah, kick us uh, 5 or $10 a month. We can continue our work. Um, so thanks again. Thanks, Carl, for always putting this on the Internet. We always very much appreciate it. And, um, yeah, left is best.